You are listening to A Rose in Winter by Kathleen E. Woodowis, read by Jack Miller, especially for Jennifer Cruikshank. A Rose in Winter, Epigram Poem. A crimson bloom in winter's snow, born out of time like a maiden's woe, spawned in a season when the chill winds blow. Twas found in a sheltering spot, bright sterling jewels and blemished not, red as a drop of blood from the broken heart. Of the maid who waits and weeps atop the tour, left behind by yon argent knight sworn to war, till a jousting and a questing he goes no more. Fear not, sweet Joe, a moldering on the moor. The winter's rose doth promise in the fading runes of yore that true love once found will again be restored. Chapter 1, October 23rd, 1792, Northern England. Marriage! Ariane Fleming drew back from the hearth and slammed the poker into the stand, venting a growing vexation with the still young day. Outside, the cavorting wind gleefully whipped large, splashing raindrops and stinging shards of sleet against the leaded window panes, to mock with its carefree abandon the bondage she felt in her spirit. The rolling chaos of dark clouds churning close above the tiled roof of the mayor's cottage mirrored the mood of this trim, dark-haired young woman whose eyes flashed with a violet fire of their own as she glared down into the flames. Marriage. The word flared afresh in her brain. Once the symbol of a girlhood dream, of late it had become more a symptom for foolery. It was not that she opposed the institution, oh no. Under the careful guidance of her mother, she had prepared herself to be a fitting spouse for any man. It was only that her father, that self-same mayor of Maubry, was bent on matching her to any wealthy purse, regardless of what foppish obese or bone-thin caricature of a man bore it to her door. All other desirable traits, including manners, seemed unimportant to him, indeed not even to be considered. If the man be rich and willing to wed, then he was a likely candidate for her hand. And sorry lot they had proven to be, and yet, Ariane's finely arched brows drew together in a sudden doubt. Perhaps they were the best her father could do, without the enticement of even a reasonable dowry. Marriage. Pa. Ariane spat the words out in renewed disgust. She was quickly losing the blissful fantasies of youth, and beginning to look upon the state of wedlock as something less than pleasant. Of course, it was not altogether rare that a young lady should detest an arranged suitor, but after the sampling she had been subjected to, she held little hope that her father's usual dogmatic nature would greatly improve his selections in the future. Restlessly, Ariane strode to the window and stared pensively through a diamond-shaped pane toward this cobbled road that meandered through the village. The trees that bordered the hamlet were little more than dark, skeletal shapes in the slashing rain. Her gaze drifted down the empty lane, and a dull ache, not unlike a mild dyspepsia, was born in her at the thought that barely an hour separated her from a meeting with an unwelcome suitor. She had not the smallest desire to put on a gracious smile for another superimposing buffoon, and she dearly hoped, yea, even prayed, that the road would remain devoid of travelers. Indeed, should a rain-weakened bridge collapse beneath the conveyance bearing the man, and the whole lot fall into the foaming water, never to be seen again, she would not grieve over much. The man was a stranger to her, a faceless entity identifiable only by a name she had very recently been given, Silas Chambers. 
What kind of man would he prove to be? Ariane glanced about the modest parlor and wondered how he would view her home and his, if his disdain would be apparent. Though the cottage was as fine as any in the town, the Spartan furnishings readily conveyed a lack of wealth. Had it not been for the fact that the dwelling was offered with the position, her father would have been hard-pressed to provide such lodging. Self-consciously, she smoothed the worn velvet of her plume-hued gown, hoping its outdated style would not be noticed. Her pride had been stung too often beneath the haughty arrogance of mincing fops who saw themselves well above her and felt no compulsion to keep the fact a secret. Her lack of dowry weighed poorly against their heavy purses. She longed to demonstrate to those opinionated oafs that she was as well-schooled and certainly better-mannered than they, but such an attempt would have brought harsh disapproval from her father. Avery Fleming thought it was unnecessary and imprudent for any member of the fairer sex to be tutored beyond the basics of womanly duties, and certainly not in ciphering and the written word. If not for her mother's inheritance and stubborn insistence, such a luxury of schooling would not have been bestowed upon the daughter. Angela Fleming had carefully held back a part of her own wealth to see the matter done, and every could say naught, considering he had himself, during the course of their marriage, appropriated the major part of it to support his own widely varied indulgences. Although the same opportunity had been lavishly expended upon Farrell, after less than a year at an advanced seminary, the lad had declared an intense dislike for the pompous preaching and unjust disciplines of a bunch of stodgy old men, and resigned as a man of letters to return home and learn the trade of his father, whatever that might be. Ariane's mind proud like a foraging hind through the long months since her mother's death, recalling the many hours she had spent alone with her father and brother played cards or drank with some of the local townsmen, or when they traveled to Workington with the sailors and tars who came to the port. In the absence of Angela's careful rationing, the family's meager wealth dwindled rapidly away, and with its loss came the ever-constant tightening of purse strings, which in turn brought an increasing pressure from her father to wed. The critical juncture in this process came after the wounding of her brother in a viciously one-sided duel that left his right arm hanging at his side, with the elbow fused in an odd angle, and the hand beneath it weak and nearly useless. From then on, Avery appeared beset by a fever to find her a rich husband. A sudden anger nipped at the heels of Ariane's memory, and her thoughts quickened with its challenge. Now there is one I'd like to meet, she hissed hotly to the room at large. Christopher Sutton, Yankee, Blackard, Gambler, Rue, Liar. Whatever name she seized upon seemed to fit. Indeed, a few titles that dwelt upon his lineage flitted through her mind, and she savored the taste of them. Aye, to meet that one face to face. She imagined close-set eyes and a thin, crooked nose, stiff straight hair sticking out from beneath the brim of a tricorn, narrow pinched lips twisted in a cruel leer that revealed small yellowed teeth. A wart at the point of a receding chin completed her creation. The vision was sweet as she finished and set it atop a thin and bony frame. Oh, if she could just meet that one. Though she might not beat him in a brawl, she could certainly flay his composure to her satisfaction. He would smart for a fortnight from the tongue lashing she would lay upon him. Then perhaps he would think twice before wrecking his vengeance on a less than wise and unwary lad, or causing havoc to reign upon an elder. Were I a man, she struck a fencing pose and swept her hand before her as if it held a razor-sharp rapier. I'd fix him thus. She stabbed once, twice, thrice, then whipped the imaginary tip across her victim's throat. Delicately, she wiped the phantom blade and restored it to an equally airy scabbard. Were I a man, she straightened to stare pensively through the window. I'd assure myself that that braggart knew the error of his ways, and henceforth would bend to seek his fortune in some other corner of the world. She caught her reflection in the crystal panes, and folding her hands, struck a demure pose. 
Alas, a brawling lad I am not, but a mere woman. She turned her head from side to side to inspect the carefully arranged raven trusses, then smiled wisely at her image. Thus my weapons must be my wit and tongue. <laughs>